Hello, and welcome to Grain to Plate, a podcast where we explore everything food, from the first grain to the final plate. And yes, it has been a very long time since an episode has been uploaded. But due to a very serious and difficult family matter, I needed to take some time. Take some time to spend with my family and deal with the hardship that a long absence can cause, especially at moments when that person needs you the most. But I'm back, continuing the series on GMOs that, as you may recall, was started after covering the recent March Against Monsanto and follow-up interviews and research. This episode's going to be broken up into two parts. And because it's been so long in between episodes, here's a short recap of where I left off. What do you think will help increase public awareness and make the public want to come out to march against GMOs and, I say, unethical farming practices? The arrest of those people, the cabal, the arrest of Bush, Cheney, Rumsfeld, all the people that brought all the destruction. Greed is the seed Monsanto has sown. Let it be known this day we no longer want GMOs to stand in our way. We thrive because we're strong, stronger than a seed that's been genetically modified. Do you think that the March Against Monsanto has really been propagating a lot of pseudoscience and misinformation regarding a lot of things, uh, largely advances in biotechnology like GMOs, but also they've been targeting things like vaccines even, which are beneficial and safe and protect us. Mi abuelo creció toda su vida sus plantas naturalmente. El día que mi abuelo empezó a usar químicos de Monsanto, mi abuelo se enfermó y mi abuelo murió a causa de esto. We stand on uh, all things that are that are scientific, the scientific consensus of anything, pretty much, vaccines, um, uh, modern medicine, we stand for all forms of uh, technology uh, to promote uh, progress, uh, and their, other, their side is wants to keep us in the uh, dark age. The fact that Monsanto is over 100 years old, what do you think it'll take to topple them, to finally bring them down? I, I believe Monsanto is no different than the Rothschild family. It's one and the same. It's the same attack worldwide. It's been going on for hundreds of years, not just a hundred years. There's no end in sight unless the people get band together and do something, you know, and the way that we're raised, at least here in America, is we're raised to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe and oppose each other, not arm-in-arm -arm with each other. We're raised to see a difference in the other person, not to accept the person for who they are. We're raised to see color not to see person. Until we get together, there's no hope. Perfect. I'm a former white supremacist skinhead. Oh, wow. I'm out here trying to save the world one person at a time. I do farmer's markets in North Vegas where I work in a melting pot. I work with 90% other than white, and I love it because I'm out there trying to change something for once. I'm not being a part of the problem. I'm being a part of the solution. I'm trying to unite people. I am my government's worst enemy. So after posting the episodes on the GMO debate, David Sutherland, posted some comments on our second episode, which can be seen on our SoundCloud page. Now, after seeing the comments, I reached out to David Sutherland, and he was more than willing to talk to me about the comments and about his organization and where they stand on GMOs and the allegations about their ties with Monsanto. My name is David Sutherland, and I'm a co-founder and director of a group called March Against 
um, myths. So we're a science, defense, and advocacy group. We are an activist group. There's not a lot of this kind of work going on to defend science, and we felt like we were good to fill this this niche. Um, we shortened our name to Mammoths for short, M-A-M-Y-T-H, like Mammoths. Now, of course, because of their stance, any rational person could come to the conclusion that there is a tie between them and Monsanto. But I'll let him explain. I'm not a friend of capitalism. Capitalism, I see how it oppresses people. I'm not, I don't trust any profit-driven uh, entity, any businesses or corporations. I'm friendly with people who work at Monsanto. I'm friendly with people who work at organic uh, industries. I work, I'm, I, the people at these companies, I don't feel are bad, although I don't trust the organization as a whole because the way they operate, I feel is just, um, it could go so wrong. So to get that out of the way, um, I'm not a Monsanto apologist. I'm not pro-capitalism or pro-corporation or any of this stuff. I just want to see justice. Um, I do feel like the issue is tied up with Monsanto. We would have no problem, March Against Myths would have no problem with March Against Monsanto if they were sticking to fighting against Monsanto, because that's not our fight. Um, they could march against Monsanto all they want if it was just about that. But that is where um, the issue lies, because it's, um, and it's a very frustrating issue because Monsanto is not the only company who does it. The stuff that Monsanto does isn't any different than any of what another corporation does, not that that should justify anything, right? Now, we did spend a lot of time talking about Monsanto, their relationship with Monsanto, just to clear the air. But we also talked about why they chose to coordinate their march as a counter-protest to the March Against Monsanto. We saw March Against Monsanto as an area where they were building a lot of energy. And we felt that a way to kind of um, polarize the debate, to, to get the issue out there, to show um, people what the issues were and also try to to undo some of the damage we feel March Against Monsanto is doing. They are not about marching Against Monsanto. They are anti-GMO, and they um, are now anti-vaccine. They're very public about it, and they are, and they have, and they all year perpetuate anti, not anti-science, but pseudoscience myths and conspiracy theories about all kinds of things I feel is an injustice because justice requires truth. We need to understand what the truths are so that we could find justice. And without truth, there is no justice. So that is where we operate. We are trying to bring truth to the people so that the people can find justice. And so our last year's campaign, if, you, if people go to our website, they'll see the evidence where we contacted the head of March, March Against Monsanto, Tammy Cannell. We tried to negotiate with her and go like, look, March Against Monsanto, all you want. We don't care. You know, but these issues of anti-GMO and anti-vaccine and chemtrails and all this goofy crap, it has to stop. And if you guys stop doing that, um, it's a win-win. We will stand down and go find another issue to, um, to advocate for. And you could go and march against Monsanto and have a stronger message. But she refuses to do so. That, so that tells, that shows that there's something else going on. It's not about Monsanto at all. It might be a little bit, but they're really using it as a ruse. Now, one of the points that the pro-GMO side will always offer is that when you look at it purely on science, there is no argument. And that's exactly how David explained it. It's not a science issue because the science says that this technology is safe. It's just silly to talk about this issue as in GMO. And I, I, we use that word because that's what people refer to the general issue. But 
you know, GMO could be anything from a genetically modified mosquito or a Roundup-ready plant or a vaccine and tobacco or insulin, bacteria insulin. So the science of the, the process, right? GM is a process. It's not a, necessarily an organism because you could GM any organism to do anything. You could GM an organism to spit out uh, poison. Some of the worst poisons we know are, are natural and you could easily, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, genetically modify something to spit out some poison and to hurt people. But then in another way, you could genetically modify, you biofortify foods, get better nutrition in, in areas where the foods aren't as nutritious or there's vitamin deficiency. Um, so, but, so the technology of doing it is safe, right? Um, so in the matter of the science, just like with climate change or whatever, we look to the consensus of science. On the, on the issue of climate change, we know the consensus is saying that it's happening. And on the GM issue, we have consensus there too. Now from the third episode, the following audio, which was recorded during the protest. It was a deep personal story from one of the participants who had lost a loved one and where she felt the blame should lie. Every fiber of that product has Roundup. It's infused in the DNA. That's why your immune system can't recognize it. And then when you eat it, your immune system is fighting this filthy crap you call food. The filthy crap you call food, your immune system fights. That's why my niece died at 38 from her liver going. Because of your poison, your poison food, your poison food killed my niece and my nephew needs a liver. My 37-year-old nephew needs a liver and you killed my niece. Which of course led to this from David. Many of the very passionate ones seem to have in their history some kind of tragedy where um, somebody died and or got hurt and Maybe they don't have the full understanding or evidence of why that happened, but they're looking for a reason why. And that's a very compelling thing. When somebody close to you is hurt, you want to know why. And when there's no definitive, definitive answer, you're going to reach out and, and uh, um, you can fall down a rabbit hole really easily. I'm not saying that they all are uh, misled or don't understand, but... Um, a lot of the claims I hear, it's just kind of like, well, Roundup caused my cancer or whatever, or my, or my mom died because of Roundup. Or, and you go and look for the evidence of that. And there is none because it's a very safe, you know, um, you know that herbicide is very safe. So, and, that's, and, our, and I know certain countries, in the U.S., I think Monsanto is the boogeyman. And I know like in Argentina, uh, glyphosate or Roundup is the boogeyman. Like people are so afraid of the um, herbicide in Argentina, where in the U.S., a little bit that, but mostly about uh, you know, anti-corporatism and stuff. Um, so I think it's the, the culture, too. But there are people who are looking for answers, and they were hurt. And I think it's um, a crime to kind of appropriate that hurt and apply it to your agenda or issue. Um, because these are real people who are suffering from a real thing that happened to them. And if, if they're looking for justice, and you kind of say, like, well, this is what you know, GMOs did that. Um, they're never going to find out what the true cause was, and um, and and they do that, and you know they do that saying that you know without evidence of jet GMOs did it. So I had to ask David, how do you create separation from Monsanto? How do you make your argument just about the science and show those that are on the outside that your intentions are pure, and that you're merely there to argue the science? 
Um, so we get no money from any industry and we refuse to take it. And so it's not like we're, we're not, we're, we're not paying ourselves. We're not, we're just volunteers. That's what we do in our off time. We don't pay. We're just volunteering doing this um, gig. And uh, cause we have a passion for justice and science on this issue. And we, we, we do say all the time that, you know, um, we're not being, we're not, of being an apologist for Monsanto. We're not marching for Monsanto. We are marching in pseudoscience uh, that uh, marching into Monsanto perpetuates. People will still say it. And and the, the social justice aspect, right? So, you know, I feel that we're morally compelled uh, employ technology, especially where, um, you know, the risks are are less, are not as great as the benefits we could, we could get from them, right? So, uh, there are this technology has so much promise to help people, and there's people that are starving right now that could really use this technology. And we could, you know, if we got to encourage this, to encourage exploration and innovation in this area, can help a lot of people around the world. And groups um, and Greenpeace is something we were talking about or just recently. I don't know if you saw that, but groups like March Against Monsanto and, and um, Greenpeace and other others are spreading fear around this technology and our first world concerns about whatever, you know, tying corporate anti-corporatism to this technology is affecting people in developing worlds and, and scaring people away from it. So it's, you know, as we were talking before, you know, I feel like food is a right and we, everybody deserves to be fed. Um, I don't care how it happens. We need to do it. I mean, you know, so fighting this technology is just, um, hurting that possibility and and global food security is so important. Um, the first thing we need to do is get people fed before they could uh, you know uplift themselves. And yes, it was a bit redundant to bring up the relationship with March Against Myths and Monsanto, but it was something that I felt needed to be clarified. Now, as I mentioned earlier, due to the length and the amount of content that me and David went over, I decided to break this episode into two parts. This first part was just to lay the foundation of the argument that March Against Myths has for supporting GMOs. In part two, we're going to touch upon the comments that David Sutherland posted on our SoundCloud page at exact points and subject matter that he felt should be discussed. This episode will be posted next week, a much shorter time frame than our previous episodes. But as this is a story that is very important, especially with the passing of new GMO labeling laws that I feel needs to be discussed. Now also for full transparency, I have been actively reaching out to groups that are against GMOs, however have come up quite short. Some have cited due to time constraints, which I respect and look forward to their response so that I can record an interview with them as well. But of course, I have to move on. Now, after the second part of this interview, we'll be taking a break from GMOs because the GMO debate reminded me of one lone great scientist who also stood up against Monsanto and their practices. Now, her fight was quite different. She was going up against Monsanto at a time when the science was not in our best interest a time where chemicals were stripping the land of things that we all take for granted when a heavy fog moved in and silenced our spring. Yes, after the second part of this interview, we are going to start a series on Miss Rachel Carson.
scientist, a pioneer, and pretty much the reason why we have the organic food culture that we have today. I've gotten a lot of support and great material from universities and experts. Most importantly, from Linda Lear, the biographer of Miss Rachel Carson. Dr. Lear has been very supportive in this project and has shared her time and information. And I'm very excited to share this and I'm working very diligently to make sure that I give her story and her legacy the respect that it deserves. So I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Green to Plate and apologize for the long delay in between episodes. Most of it, as I said, was due to a family reason, but also to quote my favorite podcaster, storyteller, and man from Detroit, Shannon Kaysen. And if I may quote him, the reason for the delay is I suck. Again, thank you for listening, and I will be back shortly with part two of my interview with David Sutherland. This episode was produced by myself, Jonathan Tatum.